Welcome to this week's uh, episode of Church Unscripted. We're so glad you've joined us. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe to our channel. Uh, hit the like button on this video. Share it with your friends. We'd love to get this uh, message out. Uh, today I'm with Pastor Eric, Pastor John. And uh, Eric, I thought it would be good to just start today's conversation um, kind of talking about the heart of our new series. Because um, what was it? A month ago, this yeah. series didn't exist. Right. We were on trajectory to do a different series. Yeah. And you brought John 8 to the staff and um, we just all kind of fell in love with the idea that you had brought before us. And um, I guess, why is it so important that we make this shift and we talk about identity? Yeah. So I think originally we had a series planned about habits, um, you know, how to, how to read the Bible, how to pray, which is a very good series to have. In fact, it's not off the list. So we'll probably put it back in, into the schedule at some point. But uh, really when I started reading through John chapter eight, about a month ago, of course, I've read this passage, you know, several times. Um, and I just feel like I've, I, I discovered for the first time, just the emotional toll that, that this conversation had on Jesus. And I just kind of started circling in my Bible the different insults that they leveled against Jesus. And I realized, my goodness, if, if any of us were to experience any of those kind of insults or accusations, what would that do to our psyche, our emotional state and those kind of things? And I realized, you know, if Jesus was fully human, just as he was fully God, what did this do to him? Mm. And so I started asking the question, why would why would his enemies try to do this? Mm. And I think it, it came to the conclusion that if we can be discouraged, if we can get disillusioned, if we can begin to see ourselves as, as something other than what God has already said about us, then then we can sideline ourselves out of the game. And then he's, he wins already. Wow. And so I think it was just a realization that just as Jesus was, you know, um, given these insults and accusations that we are too in some form or another. And therefore, if we listen to how Jesus responded to them when we respond in kind, then we could um, have power over them. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of us uh, in, in, our, in our churches, not just Brookside, yeah. that, that struggle with... Um, struggle with living with some kind of a spiritual insult or accusation, whether somebody else told that to them or whether they believe it about themselves. And it's just very debilitating to their, to their spiritual lives. Yeah. So that was the motivation. Yeah. John, why do you think it's important that mm. identity <laughs> is, is discussed in the church? Yeah. Well, I, I would say this, if your thought process, your worldview is out of a false identity, mm. then it's going to affect everything you do. It's yeah. going to affect how you perceive the world. It's going to affect how you read scripture. It's mm. going to affect everything else. And if you don't let scripture breathe into that yeah. identity and go, going back to what you said, being who Jesus says we are rather mm. than who yeah. people tell us we are. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think many times the most discouraging version of us yeah. is the version that we hear other people tell us we are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's even family members or close people yeah. to us that they can say things and they don't realize it's discouraging. Mm. But in reality, it's not what Jesus would say about us. Right, right. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to be overly like positive mm. or optimistic, but when I read scripture, it doesn't say the sinners in Corinth. It says the saints in Corinth. Yeah. And I'm sure <laughs> when you look at the Corinthian church, they were pretty messed up, right? Yeah, so they were. there's a right. lot of things there mm. that I think identity-wise we need to embrace mm. and move right. towards. And, and we just came out of a Holy Spirit series, right? right? Mm -hmm. And right. so that Holy Spirit series, and then around Easter, we're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about when the gospel went out. Mm -hmm. And I think all that comes together to meet us in this series with identity. Yeah. And so uh, if you think you're something, that you're not, we know that 
some people are going to think you're a little crazy. Mm-hmm. But when you think you're something that Scripture says you are, yeah. that's really truly who you are. Yeah, there's there seems to be you know kind of the two extremes in terms of your self identity can be equally dangerous. So Scripture right. is very clear: don't think yourself high, higher right. than you ought to, but take on the attitude of Jesus, mm-hmm. which uh, became a servant and um, mm-hmm. even unto death. So there's a possibility that we can t- think too highly of ourselves, yeah. which is very much a spiritual arrogance, and that will get you into trouble. Yeah. But the other side of the coin is there's things that our enemy can do to make us think far lower of ourselves right. than Jesus thinks of ourselves. So we have to be careful to not let ourselves, you know, be drawn into yeah. or lead ourselves into yeah. one of those extremes. Well, and that, that goes back to its identity. It's not like what we say we are. It's more humility. Mm-hmm. Like you just described, mm-hmm. Jesus was humbled to the point of death on the cross. He yeah. was obedient yeah. to that that's extent. Right. And that's who we are and who we need to be mm. as we per- pursue him and follow him. And yeah. so I think, though, sometimes we can say things like, well, I'm a saint. You know, like when we're talking in pride, that's not the identity that Jesus mm. gave to us, right? I mean, that's not who he says mm. we are or who we should be. Yeah. So I think there is there is a balance there, Eric. I appreciate you saying that. Cause, yeah, yeah. Because we can think too highly of ourselves and then mm-hmm. yeah, it's in a lot more trouble. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of, one of the things I love that you did um, on Sunday was just kind of uh, take us back to how set Jesus was in his identity yeah. Um, through John 7 and him saying, you know, I am the light, you know, all those things. Um, and, and one of the things he says is, if you knew my father, you would know me. Um, what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to know the father? Like, how do we, how do we know if we know God? That, that's a really good question. And honestly, I think our circumstances being not only Gentiles mm. as a paired, compared to a Jew, but also uh, being American and um, not in the context of the Old Testament. I think we have the opposite side is that the way we get to know God is through Jesus as revealed in scripture. Yeah. Um, but to the Jew who had not only the Old Testament, um, but also all of their Jewish history, they could start from their understanding relationship with God that would get them to know Jesus. Mm. So they had their history of the Exodus and how God miraculously yeah. provided for them, um, protected them. And we talked about some of those ways. We have the prophet, they had the prophets mm. um, that kind of carried their culture and, and created DNA for their culture. Mm. So they had their entire history, generations upon generations of getting to know who this God was. Mm. And that should have given them in a sense, an advantage of recognizing Jesus. But we have the opposite way. It's, it's, we have scripture that reveals who Jesus is. And from that, we get to know who God mm. is. Um, but I think, I think either way, it's been made clear to us, uh, not only who Jesus is, but who God is. So mm. neither of us, whether a Jew mm. or Gentile is without excuse, I think. Well, and I, I think when at the end of John, yeah. we were just talking about that recently mm-hmm. over Easter, it's mm-hmm. like, it actually says that we are blessed because we have not seen. Yeah. And so I think, I think God looks at a lot of that and says, okay, mm. so they haven't seen, but they believe and they have faith. So mm. I think you have to have faith that this witness, this testimony of what's happened and mm. who God is, is true. Mm. Um, sometimes rather than believing what we've experienced in life, because sometimes we might uh, blur the line between father, our father, and when Jesus describes mm. his father, I think he redirects people. He's mm. like, my father's like this. You're saying he's like this, but he's like this. Mm. And I think there's something mysterious about it too, because when he says, you, you want to know the father like mm-hmm. I do, or, you know, like, like this is a yeah. different picture of who he is. So I think it is a lot mm-hmm. harder than, um, 
it's not very cut and dry to know yeah, the right. father. That's why you asked the question, right? Well, yeah, because I'm because like, I'm thinking about like I think a lot of times when we say, well, you have to know the father, we spend a lot of time in theology and studying and mm -hmm. all of these things, but then you also have scripture that says knowledge puffs up. So it's like this this balance between like do I know him as Jesus knew him or do I know him as a scholar would know him? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you balance that? Because I think there's people that study scripture who may not actually know the father as well as someone who doesn't study as much. How do we, yeah. how do we know? You know, I guess that's what I'm, right. that's right. what I'm wrestling with is like, well, I think I think the bigger the bigger danger is not necessarily reading what scholars write about who God is, even though that's a very um, important thing to do. I mean, to study and research. But I think the bigger danger is that we will project onto our heavenly Father uh, the image of our earthly Father, mm. and that's the case for so many people today, where there's an increasingly large number of kids growing up in homes without a father. So their idea of father is a guy who abandoned them, you know, or they ha they're in a home where their father perhaps verbally or mentally or physically abuse them. So now God is, is violent. Um, and so I think there's actually a diagram that some psychologists, Christian psychologists created based upon the state of the family in, in the 20th century. And, and that is you, can, you are more apt to see God as a judge or um, as vindictive or as a dictator. Mm -hmm. so, so the reality is because none of our homes are perfect and because no father is perfect, right every one of us is going to have an impression or perspective of God that is not accurate, that is yeah. probably unhealthy, which is why it's really important to see Jesus. Yeah. Because wherever you see you, Jesus and your own earthly father um, diverge in terms of character or, hmm. or behavior, then go to Jesus because he is the accurate image of God, not your earthly father. But it is incumbent then upon every earthly father, especially if you call yourself Christian, um, are you leading your family and raising your kids in a way that is as consistent as you can possibly live to the nature and heart and mind of God? So, so one thing I, I really appreciated about my dad, he's passed away years ago, but I think one of the things I noticed as a parent is he admitted he was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of dads, that's a struggle, or men in general. We yeah. don't want to admit we're wrong because for some reason we think we're always right. Maybe, mm -hmm. yeah. maybe we don't. We just don't want to say it. And it's humbling to say that to your kids, but I think that's impactful mm. to say, like, I didn't do this right. I messed up. Yeah. Yeah. I know what's right. I know what's true. And I made the wrong decision here. Well, well that comes and, back to the identity conversation of, like, I feel like, you know, a lot of times as men, as fathers, like Satan can attack that identity and, and be like, well, no, you weren't wrong. That's how a man should be. Or that's how, that's how you should, like your parents or your kids should know that that way or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he can almost attack your identity as a, as a son of God and as a father um, mm -hmm. to, to distract you too. So I, I think that like that identity conversation is, I'm excited for the weeks to come. Like with yeah. that, with that. Did you did you have any thing that you wanted to ask? Oh, I do. I do have all a few right, things right, I want to ask right. here. So, so on Sunday, you you started the sermon, and you were talking about John chapter seven leading into chapter eight, and you were talking about the feast of booths. And and mm -hmm. at this point, when you introed chapter eight, I think it was so important how how you said this. You said the you said this is the most emotionally draining conversation Jesus had, or at least one of the worst, sure. right? Yeah. Okay. 
so if that's true, and we, you kind of set me up for this because you said Jesus was set in his identity and you talked about that Sunday. Yeah. So Jesus is set in his identity, but how do we cope with the accusations that tear us down? I mean, like, like practically, yeah. I know we can go back to scripture. So that's the, I'll give the Sunday, that's the Sunday school answer, right? Okay. So how, but how do we, how do we deal with those accusations in a Christ-like way? Because maybe we won't always find a way to put it back at the Pharisees. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Like how do, how do we respond? Yeah, or I do think we respond? that's a really important question to ask because I think we have this mentality that thinks, you know, Jesus was Jesus. He was God. And so, of course, there's nothing that's going to rattle him emotionally. And I guess you can make a theological argument for that case. However, we tend to think that because we're not God, then there's no way we could stand up to those kind of accusations or insults the way Jesus did. But I would disagree with that because I love the scripture that says the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active in us. And so the very wisdom and heart and mind and confidence of God himself is living and resident inside of us, which means that we can train ourselves. We can train ourselves and it does take training. Uh, to be able to respond like Jesus did to these things. Um, and, and that's why I love the analogy of, of how the FBI discovers counterfeit currency. Mm-hmm. And so there is, is hundreds, if not thousands of different counterfeits out there. What they train their people to do is not study all the counterfeits. What they train their people to do is study the actual currency all day all the time. So the more familiar they are with the actual currency, it's very, very easy to spot the micro um, um, counterfeits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that applies very much here. It's the more, the more we are familiar with mm. the truth of what God says about us. Mm. If he does say you are redeemed, the more you understand what it means for yourself to be redeemed, the more you'll recognize mm. the accusation of you're not redeemed as the lie that it is. Mm. So I think it's the very same kind of uh, principle there. It's how much are you allowing? And that's the training right there. That's the training. If I'm not in scripture, if I'm not listening to the word, uh, then I'm not being reminded of the truths that that he's already spoken over me. So I would say that's that's the way that you respond the way Jesus responds in John chapter eight. Hmm. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's true. I think, I think one of the things that I, as I was, I was sitting there listening, especially on Sunday, I was thinking like specifically, you mentioned victory, not just, not just dealing with accusations to speak almost negatively or, or responding to accusations. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned victory. And so what would you say, and David, I want you to answer too, cause I yeah. think you'd have a good answer for this, but mm-hmm. what would you say to someone that feels like an imposter because of those accusations. It's a different response. So like Mm. one is you believe the accusation. Mm. Another is I feel like an imposter if I say I'm redeemed because really I still am struggling. Like there's a, there's a plank in my eye or there's a speck in my eye and I'm really struggling to see myself as what God tells me I am. So I'm an imposter Mm. and maybe it's because of accusations and maybe it's because of self-reflection. So what Mm. would you, what would you say to someone that's struggling with imposter syndrome? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I've got thoughts, but I want to hear Well, Well, um, it's funny because I, I was kind of leaning that way uh, for my next question. <laughs> um, so I was hoping you would have the answer. But, um, I, can, I, can, I can talk too excuse me. as well. But. Um, I have a cold, so I'm going to cough real quick. <coughs> oh, there we go. Um, you had said that the enemy uh, tries to tell us lies to convince us that our story is a lie. And I think sometimes that 
that um, feeling inadequate or that imposter syndrome is is almost like um, it's just Satan at work. And so if we can recognize that if if there's self-reflection, there's things that we need to fix, like that doesn't define us. Like that's not our identity. Like that's something that we may do. That's something that we may have said, but that's not who we are. So, so wait, 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 hold up. I think that's important. Can you say that one more time? Because it's not, what it's, we do is not who we are, right? Correct. And I think that's, okay. the, that's the foundation of identity is a lot of times, um, you know, a, 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 a mentor of mine, we were sitting in a, a circle of uh, different uh, pastors and people on staff at different churches. And uh, I, was, I was meeting a lot of them for the first time. So we went around in a circle and we would say, you know, hey, I'm so-and-so and I am uh, a, a pastor. I, I'm so-and-so and I'm a, a kid's uh, director. I'm, you know, and I, it got to me and I said, I'm David, I'm a worship pastor. He, he goes last and he says, hi, I'm Craig and I'm a child of God. And it was like in that moment, he was kind of teaching us all, like we find our identity in the wrong things. It's not what we do. It's like in the same way that like our jobs don't define us, like our sin and our guilt and our shame don't define us either because of Jesus. And so I guess I would encourage people that feel like they're, they're not good enough or they're not living up to the identity that, that what they do is not who they are. It doesn't give you an excuse to do whatever that is. However, um, as soon as you start to identify as what you do, that's when Satan takes your story and totally just throws it to the side. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk in terms of people and their vocation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever asked someone like, what do you do? Right. And, or, but you're not asking who they are technically. What do you do? Right. Men ask other men that all the time. Yeah. So what, what do you do for a job? How do you, you know, provide right. or whatever? Right. And we think in terms of that so much that yeah. we lose what Jesus is talking right. about here. Sure. Completely. So Eric, yeah. I know you have more thoughts. Yeah, I sure do. And I'm, I'm excited about this question because um, I've been I've been understanding more of this concept in Scripture. There seems to be a theme and all kinds of precedent all over Scripture for the fact that you and I right now are living in something of an in-between reality. Mm. So let me give you the story. In the Exodus, when God sets his people free from Egypt, um, there's a difference, and I learned this from Tony Evans, there's a difference between being delivered and being free. So God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, but they had not yet experienced the freedom of the promised land. They had to go through 40 years in the desert. But it's interesting when God talks about the promised land that they have not yet experienced, he says, I have given you the land. So the language is past tense. It's historical. Mm -hmm. I have given you the land. So the land was already theirs, but they had not yet received it. So the idea is that there are certain things that God has declared over us that he's delivered us into, but we're somewhere in between where we are on our way towards that full freedom, that full redemption, whatever that is, but we're not fully there, even though it is, even though it is mine. So I can tell my kids, listen, I've got, I've got all the money in the bank account right now to pay for every year of your college, wherever you want to go. It is yours. Your college degree is yours. However, they're not yet at college and have not yet put the work in to get the degree, even though it's already theirs. So I think what we're, what, the reason we feel like we're, we're living as something of imposters is because while we're in the desert where the Israelites were, even though we were looking ahead towards the promised land that is already ours, we do have voices that's trying to always call us back to Egypt. 
And so whenever we feel like, you know what, I don't like the desert, I don't like this time where God is forming me and molding me and shaping me, which is what deserts do, there's something in us that draws us back to Egypt because of what they say. It's, hey, at least back there, we had three square meals a day. We had a roof over our head, you know? Um, And I I think that's where we feel like we're imposters because we're in that in-between reality. Well, and there, it, there's a whole nother concept in the New Testament that is along the same lines where we are in an already but not yet kingdom. I yeah. mean, God's eternal yeah. kingdom is coming yeah. and we're a part of that kingdom now, but Jesus isn't here reigning yet, but he is reigning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like yeah. there's all this tension. And mm-hmm. I think that's sometimes why our identity gets so, I'll use the word blurred. Mm-hmm. So on Sunday, I, as, as I was hearing you talk about Jesus being called a liar, and being being accused of things, yeah. I think they were trying to blur what his identity was, mm-hmm. and they were also trying to diminish what yeah. God was doing. I mean, yeah. and and I think in some ways, like we have to have our radar up to when someone's trying to diminish what God's doing in our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that um, yeah. I definitely see. There was t- two things that you mentioned before you actually, you got further into the sermon that I think were important. You talked about being refreshed and having sight. Mm-hmm. I think those are two very different things, but like, how do, how do we get those? I mean, David, I don't know if you, uh, refreshed, maybe you want, you want to, how do we get refreshed? I mean, I, I think of that as a very broad well, question. That's the reason yeah, I'm asking I th- that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a lot of, um, I think that's a lot of personality driven. Okay. And also um, relationally driven with Jesus, right? So um, I always like to say, like, if we believe that our relation, that our salvation is a relationship with Jesus, right? The way that I relate to Jesus is very different than both of you would relate to Jesus because it's personal. Yeah. Not that Jesus changes; it's just that we're different. Um, so for me a time of refreshing is just a time of, of scripture, silence, sitting at a piano and just playing and allowing, like almost just listening. Um, but that may not work for Eric because I don't know if he plays piano or not. But <laughs> You don't even want to see hey, me hey, play piano. Me on Sunday. Yeah, we do not want to see me play piano, piano yeah. or but, sing. So, yeah, on that. <laughs> so it's like, I think, how do we get refreshed? It is a broad question. I think you have to uh, kind of discern um, where you feel joy. Like for, for some people that I know, like the woods, like anywhere in nature, like you put them out there with a fishing pole and they are completely refreshed mm-hmm. by his presence. And that's awesome. Only don't for have me, to go fishing. I'll just, I, I'm so frustrated <laughs> with a fishing pole that I don't think I would meet Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. But, but I think that whole refreshing, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, is, is personal. Yeah, it starts though when Jesus when Jesus presents this universal uh, <laughs> idea of of refreshment from our soul struggle against sin, um, and I think that's what he's primarily referring to. But then once you have a relationship with him, it's not like his ability to refresh your soul stops. Right. And that is where the relational, the personal part of it comes into. Um, and so I think it's it's part of. I mean, just like in marriage, when you and your, your spouse discover what you guys love to do together, mm-hmm. um, sometimes that takes a while 
to figure that out. But once you figure it out, you, you, you kind of look forward to those opportunities. And I think that's the yeah. same thing with Jesus. It's uh, now I've figured out the places and the settings uh, and the circumstances of where Jesus refreshes my soul. Yeah. Um, and, and that's on a, that's a daily basis. Yeah. It's a regular basis, not just the moment where you embrace him as savior for your, for your yeah. soul. That's good. Well, and I think, I think what both of you said, I mean, if I were to say it in a few words, I think we are, we're prescribed that we need to have a relationship with Jesus, but the description is lacking because we have different personalities. We have different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, but I think there is one thing that we're told as far as a prescription of a relationship with Jesus, it's the posture of our heart. Mm-hmm. So when we're refreshed, it's because our hearts refreshed yeah. and that's where we find joy, which is something David, you said, and, and Eric, you were talking about like, we have this relationship mm-hmm. and now what do we do with it? Right. Essentially. Um, <laughs> you, you made me laugh because I, in my mind, cause I was thinking about you're like, yeah, when you find something you and your wife enjoy doing, I'm like, okay, we enjoyed something, doing something completely different. Now we have four kids. Like, it's yeah. like, it's so shifts. And I think our relationship <laughs> with Jesus can shift like that too, mm-hmm. where it's like, now I like doing this. Well, when we first got married, I like doing this. And so our relationship with Jesus creates more depth and maturity and intimacy in a different way that you wouldn't see you know, when you first got to know Jesus. And so wherever you're at in your relationship, it changes. And so it's okay to change. Um, and I think sometimes, and maybe, maybe I'm thinking of this in a different direction. Sometimes what refreshes us clearly does not refresh someone else. Yeah. And so I think we need to be reflective on that yeah. and not impose, right. well, this is the only way you get refreshed. I mean, some people would say, oh, you got to read the word. That's the only way you get refreshed. And I'm like, and I would agree, read the word, but that looks different. Some people can read one verse yeah. and just like unpack that one verse. And other people want to read five chapters. Yeah. Or and listen. So, or listen, or like listen. Recently, I'm like, wait, that you're allowed to do that? Nah, like, yeah. I grew up like, you had to read the Bible. Yeah. Like, listening counts. You know, but it was it just can be different. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just dependent on the person, or or even what your prayer life looks like. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and and that can look different for every person. So, mm-hmm. for to be refreshed and to be have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ can look very yeah. different for different people. And I think sometimes we struggle as Christians because we say this is how it's supposed to look like, and we feel that pressure, mm-hmm. and that affects our identity. So maybe maybe this is another avenue on this question is if if we're feeling pressured to read our Bible a certain amount of day, if we're feeling a pressure to pray a certain amount of day, um, where is that coming from? Is that a false identity that we put on ourselves? Or is there some, I mean, pure motivation? Because I think it's a, it can be pure, but where's the line there? Is there, do you guys think there's a line? I think it's more of a, of a, of a process. Let me, let me explain if I can. Uh, so to say, do I feel obligated to read scripture and to spend yeah. time with Jesus sounds very similar to me as do I feel obligated to drink water when I'm thirsty? Um, because I mean, event, I mean, I, honestly, I That's don't fair. like the taste of water, right? Um, I would much rather have a Pepsi <laughs> or a Mountain Dew. That tastes so much better. Yeah. But what I know is that that Pepsi and Mountain Dew is not good for me in any way. But if I, if I start to drink water, then I will not only begin to appreciate the healthy benefits that it has for me, I might actually start to enjoy the taste of water, especially if it's ice cold, right? Yeah. So, so my point is that you might start developing your relationship with Jesus out of a sense of obligation, but you do know I need this because I know that water's healthy, Mountain Dew's not. Jesus is healthy, something else might not be. Mm-hmm. But the more you get closer to Jesus, the more you fall in love with him 
the more you get closer to Jesus, the more you see his positive benefits in your life. And as you discover that he is more than just a savior, that he's actually a friend, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then it's, it's something like, okay, I wake up and now I know today, I don't just need water, I want the water. And so it, it so basically it, we should pray for that moment. Oh, absolutely. So it increasingly becomes less an obligation and more a craving. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's where you want it to, to get to. Wow. That was a great pivot. I wasn't expecting that. So Eric, okay. I was like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> David, you don't have to. End no, I'm not going to say anything. So I, I, uh, I know David probably has some more questions. I but. just have one. Oh, I think I just have I have one. one about sight. So I like how do we how do we have sight? I mean, y- you described how Jesus described being able to see. Mm. There's one thing about being refreshed, which I think is actually maybe even after sight in some ways because we have to see Jesus and know Jesus before we are refreshed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, which you just described the process, but h- how can we have sight if we if we think we're missing something or we're not seeing it when we re- read scripture? Mm. Like how do we have sight? How do we see it? You know what I discovered? I, I th- found it fascinating. I read something a, a long time ago that your family doctor, or really most doctors for that matter, if they see you, they can, they can narrow down what you're struggling with in about five minutes. So, I mean, there's how many thousands of physical ailments mm-hmm. or diseases, sickness, whatever, in about five minutes of talking to you, they can narrow it down to like one or two things. And I thought, my goodness, how do they do that? When they first started medical school, they couldn't do that. But after reading the books, after talking with patients, after being in the field, they just learned to see the symptoms for what they were and say, okay, now it's far easier to discern that. I think that's how it works spiritually. Hmm. It's, it's, it begins with you seeing the need for, for salvation because there's something in your life that doesn't make sense. Hmm. There's a brokenness in you that needs healing. You can't do it yourself. And so you reach out for a savior, even if you don't know less Jesus yet. And then you hear the gospels, oh, it's a perfect fit, right? Hmm. So now all of a sudden you have baseline sight to recognize Jesus is the answer. Hmm. But then I think the more you get to know Jesus, just like a doctor, you begin to have more insight into the spiritual world than you never had before. And one of the examples I love is that uh, when Jesus and his disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee, they land in a place called the, the region of the Gerasenes. And as yeah. soon as they land, uh, there's this guy who's got multiple, de- like a legion of demons in him. Mm. This guy runs up to Jesus and, and says, what do you want with us, Jesus, the son of the most high, right? And Jesus says, hey, don't say my name. And I thought it was fascinating that even though Jesus and this guy never met, the demons inside the guy and the spirit inside Jesus immediately recognized each other. Wow. And I'm wondering if that's like a level of spiritual sight that you can get to. Mm. It's like graduate level spiritual sight uh, that allows you after you're with some people for some time, mm. you can discern some of the spiritual realities going on in their life. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's, it's not that we have like some superstitious magical power. Right. It's just that we know Jesus, we know his heart, we have the mind of Christ and we can see things mm. like, we, like we've never been able to before. Mm. Um, the more you fight against your enemy, the more you learn his tactics against you. Mm. The more you resist temptation, the more you learn the scenarios, the circumstances and the mm. triggers yeah. Yeah. that launch you into temptation. Mm. Um, and I think that's just part of the process of, of, of living with Jesus. Mm. 
David, you got more to add to that? That was way better than my answer. My, <laughs> my answer was just going to be the Holy Spirit. And that's, oh, a good, see, that's a good answer. That, that's, the, yeah. that's, the, that's the Sunday school answer. But, we, I mean, we just came out of the series yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Right. And um, when you say, how do you see, I, I can't think of anything better than the power of the Holy Spirit yeah. in us. And you alluded to that, that, just that ability to see things that on my own I would never see. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the the practical like day to day walking through the trenches version of that, yeah. as I think about it, is it's almost like you're in a situation and you don't know, you don't have sight about it. Mm-hmm. The first thing, your your first indication is you need to say, God, please give me sight. Help me see what I'm missing here. Yeah. There's something off. Yeah, you know, as people say, my spidey sense. You ever hear that? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, my spidey sense my is going yeah. going crazy. I don't know what's going on here, yeah. and I I think in many times God gives out of that because there's a humility in that. Like, God, I don't got this. I don't know what to think. Mm. Um, many times that comes in those deepest moments with maybe your kids or with a spouse or with a family member where you're just like, I don't know how to fix this. Yeah. Or, and maybe you're not meant to fix it, but maybe you don't understand and God finally gives you sight to move you forward. But I think in all of this, we need sight for our identity, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's- know who you are. You gotta know who you are. And so I just loved what you said Sunday. Like it was literally one point that hinged the whole message Mm -hmm. when you were saying your identity will change if you can be convinced your story is a lie. Yeah. Like I got the application of that, but that phrase. Yeah. So why are we so easily convinced? That's what I left with. Cause I think we are. Yeah. You told a story about how you were convinced for a period. Like, Oh, I was convinced that I, I thought it was funny being a pilot. I mean, I don't see that in you. You mentioned being a pilot. I'm like, you would have been a pilot. I mean, but like, but, but convinced, I mean, I mean, I'm, I don't know what I've been convinced of, but it, it definitely wasn't being a pilot. I wasn't that, I was like, <laughs> no, no, I don't I, think I can do that. I was very convinced that I should not be a pilot. Oh, eventually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, but hmm. our identity can be changed if we're convinced our story is a lie. Like, yeah. why is it so easy to convince us? I mean, I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, um, counter to what scripture calls us to lives, um, by sight and not by faith. And I'm not talking about like the spiritual sight, like we're referring to, I'm talking about the circumstances around us that we can discern with yeah. our five senses that defines our reality more than our faith defines our reality. Um, and, and that's what you see a pattern of in so many of Jesus' disciples, like when they're on the boat um, and, and Jesus is with them, the storm comes, it threatens to sink the boat. And their initial thought is we're gonna die here. Yeah. But they were walking by sight, not by faith. And I mm-hmm. think we tend to do that. And that leads us to believe things about ourselves and other people that is not necessarily true spiritually. Hmm. So I think it's just a lifelong process. And, and what I love is to hear people who have been believers, fathers of Jesus for decades hmm. and, yeah. and to see just the difference of how they used to walk by sight, yeah. but now they walk by faith. Hmm. Um, and it's a significantly different uh, way of living. Yeah. Do you want uh, to add to that? Yeah, well, one of the things that I love just about this whole thing, like as we've read through uh, John 8, um, I love that um, Jesus was set in who he was and he didn't let them, uh, let the Pharisees or these other people change his mind, mm-hmm. but he also wasn't really trying to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just set in his identity. And I think um, one of your take homes was don't 
uh, don't let your story get changed. And I love that we see that in Jesus. He's just like, if you knew my father, you'd know me. I'm not going to fight you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know who I am. Um, what does it look like though for us to kind of go um, off of what John was saying? Like, what does it look for look like for us? Like you said, don't let your story get changed. But how do we how do we do that? Like, how is that how is that practically lived out? Like, how do we not fall into the temptation of the lie? You're looking at me now, Eric. Okay, see, like that seems like it's like uh, give me give me a second here. Well, I, I, let me let me uh, can I pivot and then answer your question in a roundabout way? Sure. Because I I do have an idea here. So I think going back to what you said before his question, one of the things that we believe about others and ourselves is that um, we believe intentions that are maybe false. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I personally have a personality that I'm overly critical about myself and my motives and my intentions. So like internally, I'm wrestling with that. Externally, it doesn't show up in my behavior. Mm. So I have this internal thought process. I'm like, oh, am I sinning in this? Is my thought? And there's some people like that, but there's other people that commit a sin. Mm. And I think really where we struggle with our identity is, are we omitting part of who Christ says we are or are we committing a sin and that makes us not who Christ says we are? And so there's really two sides of that um, letting your story get changed. One is I've committed the sin, I can never go back to God. Like, and we believe this lie that our sin is more powerful than the blood of Jesus on the cross. Mm. That's a terrible lie. Yeah. And then on the other hand, we believe that what we do, our sin, matters more than who we are in Christ, mm-hmm. which is the second lie. I think the reason we believe it goes back to what you said again. It's where it's right in front of us. Mm-hmm. People get devastated. Yeah. They see what's going on. I, I can think of so many times in my life where I'm like, oh, this is the end of the world. <coughs> and we think this is the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And we have a very small world when we're thinking that. We don't think about what scripture says about us. We don't think about what Jesus did when he died on the cross and was resurrected to new life that we have. And that Holy Spirit is in us. We don't think about those things. And so I think the reason our story gets changed has to do with our, I don't even know how to say this, but immediacy of our culture. And we're thinking about today and not tomorrow. Hmm. We're lost in that. Um, there's not, we, we talked a little bit about in the Holy Spirit series, we talked about silence and solitude in one of the mm-hmm. church inscription. I think we don't take time to be with God and rest in that without like any pressure. Mm-hmm. When we put this pressure on ourselves, I'm not saying everyone does that. Some people are definitely just lazy. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, but it is okay to sit on your couch in silence, no phones, no nothing. And just like, think about something, stare at a wall. Yeah. Like that's a lost art mm-hmm. and it sounds crazy, but try doing that for five minutes. And I that, bet that's one of the spiritual disciplines and Jesus did that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a very legitimate um, practice right. to train yourself um, to not let your story get changed. I think one of the dangers though of sin is that sin is not just, and, I, and we're not trying to preach this hellfire and brimstone thing is like, right. you know, you're a sinner, you're going right. to... Um, but I think the danger of sin is not just that you broke one of God's laws, spiritual laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just disobeyed him. But sin has long-term consequences in your life where um, it, it, it steals your joy. Mm-hmm. It steals your confidence. This is why when David, after he had the affair with Bathsheba and then consequently murdered her husband Uriah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he tried to cover it all up. Uh, when, in his prayer of repentance, he said, um, created me a clean heart. Yeah 
renew a steadfast spirit in me. Um, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but renew him in me. And part of that prayer, um, part of that prayer was, and then renew a steadfast, firm spirit in me. That is the, the confidence of God that comes to you yes. when you are a believer. What sin does is it steals that confidence away, steals your joy away, steals your hope away. Um, and it begins to have all kinds of um, effects on your life. Mm. So the more that you allow sin in your life, yeah. the more you allow it to change your story. Mm but yet you're so deceived in the process that you're not sure how he does it. So all that happens is you just sink into your discouragement and depression. Mm. So one of the first things you can do to make sure your story doesn't get changed is to be as resilient against sin as you can be. Mm. Um, yes. And if that requires that you have to confess a sin so that you can get healing, what the New Testament tells us to do, uh, then you got to do that because sin's got a lot of spider web kind of power over your life. You're just saying what I think is the hardest thing for believers to do, and that's repent. Yeah. Yeah. And repentance is not about like, I'm sorry, God, I won't do it again. Yeah. Because that's sometimes how we look at it. Yeah. But our story, I love what you just said, because I thought repentance is turning a complete 180 direction the other, the other way. And I think maybe... Uh, we're numb to the seriousness of sin sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a, like we're going to be like the Pharisees and have a million extra laws and rules about we can't get this close to the Ten Commandments. But the reality of it is, is, is it is a serious thing and it affects others and it affects us. Mm -hmm. And there's a ripple effect of that. Like my sin is affecting my kids and my kids' kids. And it actually says in the Old Testament, like it's, your sins are going to be affected to the, gen, the yeah. fourth generation or something. And I'm like, Really? Yeah. So it is a big deal, mm. and, but yeah. repentance requires humility. We just talked about that earlier. Yeah. So, but in in uh, you know this might be a way to put it like a, a bow or something on the conversation, yeah. just to wrap it up and everything. Yeah. But what I love about the Holy Spirit is is He does not sit passively by and just kind of let this happen to mm. us. No, and so He is aggressively protecting our hearts, yeah. and because He lives in us. Uh, that means Satan does not live in us. Yeah. So all Satan can do is externally impact us while we have the Holy Spirit to internally transform us. Yes. And so that is a far greater power and influence yeah. than the influence of Satan trying to change our story. So yeah. um, um, I think that can be an encouragement to yeah. say we're not our own in this fight against our accuser. Yeah. As yeah. we have the Holy Spirit who, what does the Bible say? Uh, prays for us with groans that words cannot express. Yeah. Yes. And I think yeah. that's part of what he is doing is saying, and this is what Jesus prayed for his disciples. He yeah. prayed for Peter. He said, I'm praying for you, Peter, for Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, yeah. but I prayed for your faith wow. uh, that you will stand it. So that's good. I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah, that's good. Um, as we end today, I thought it would just be good to read uh, Romans 8. Uh, verse 34 through 36 um, as an encouragement Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin the slave does not remain in the house forever the son remains forever so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed um, so if you are a believer in Jesus you are free feel that freedom uh, live in that freedom we're glad that you joined us today uh, for this conversation again if you if you uh, found any benefit to this conversation we'd love for you to share it um, hit the subscribe button the like button uh, and we'll see you uh, next week on church unscripted